Welcome to the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tackling some of the biggest issues in men's mental health. Okay, let's go. Um, we've got Ed Clancy here in the Distorted Studio. Uh, Ed, thank you for making the trip over from home first. Hey, thanks for having me. I've heard a lot about this and I've listened to your pods, so here we go. Yeah, Yorkshire I'm, great. I'm kind of a big deal. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, right, Ed Clancy, uh, three-time Olympic gold champion, six-time world champion, five-time European champion. Eddie Sowins, 2017. The big one. Hey, we've won it more than once as well, I'm sure, Tommy. What, yourself? Eddie Sowens, yeah. Do you think it's fair to say Eddie Sowens is the most dangerous race to ride in the UK? It's the most important one, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> You've got to get a win in early, you know, where everyone's sort of getting over the Christmas and New Year and all that. You know, when the ter- terrible weather, yeah. 40 mile an hour sideways winds down the back straight, get a win in early. I mean, but I success always- breeds success and all that. <laughs> I, I, I always thought Eddie Sowens was incredibly dangerous. You have to catch all the groups, and sometimes they can, they can leave you too big a gap, can't they? And yeah, it's impo- yeah. like because uh, Josh Edmondson won it that year with you guys, didn't he? He lapped the field. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I think he was only an eight, 17, 18 year old when he won it the first time, and um, yeah, obviously went on to good things. But there is, I rode it on at least one occasion yep. where there was no ambulance on the course, but you know, more I- often than not, there was at least one uh, little visit from the ambulance mid race, and yeah. yeah, yeah, look. You're from Barnsley. How long did you live in? Because you don't have a Barnsley accent because you don't go, oh, one, two, two. Because I've been in Barnsley <laughs> and the accent is actually that horrific yeah. that I actually ask people to talk in a Barnsley accent to me. How'd they go, hey, was it Mucke? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember my grandma used to speak like that. And Yeah, I think I was, I was in, in Birchworth, actually, which is, I think it's Barnsley postcode, for only sort of three, four years before... Um, we moved into my grandparents' place, uh, and that was in Denby Dale, so that had been Huddersfield. Yeah. So to be fair, we were never really in the centre of it. Never um, in Barnsley. But, you know, I, I'm a man of the world now. And you are? Travelled? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm any more cultured, but I've been around, and I, you know, we, I was home for Huddersfield for a lot of my upbringing, into Manchester for a couple of years on the old Classic Academy days. Yep. I spent uh, two summers in Germany with... Cav and Team Sparkast and a couple of summers in Belgium and Lambo Credit and then back for the Olympics in Beijing and sort of based myself around Manchester, you know, when I kind of realised I was never quite going to make it on the road. And So where's home? Where's home for Ed? Where would you say home is? Yeah, pr- pretty much back to where it started is uh, home first. I think it was after the 2012 Games, I started looking around for a pad and I was seeing a girlfriend at the time from Huddersfield. and Lucky uh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Where's she now, She's, she's lucky now. She's my ex. <laughs> <laughs> she's, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it made sense. I'd always like home Firth and, you know, there was good mountain bike trails around there and it was a decent commute into the track in Manchester, not too far away can, from the airport. Can, and- can, can I just interject? Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, home Firth, to me, that would be the opposite of what you, where you would want to live terrain-wise. Because remember that time I saw you? I had a girlfriend in a place called Tintwistle. And what's that hill I had to ride up to uh, get you to? You think that was the Isle of Sky you call that? It goes over towards Greenfield. And the other one, Home Moss, is it? Yeah, Home Moss is the biggie, yeah. So I was yeah. like, oh, uh, Block Cafe? Yeah, that's right, yep. I was yep. meeting Gabs, yeah. leg, and yep. I was like, oh, it says it's only 7.2 miles. Mm. I was like, oh, that's a piece of piss. I'll do it in like what? Yeah, 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm not that fast. I think it took me an hour and 10. <laughs> That's because, why I rode because the, it, yeah. top of the hill with you, didn't I? Yeah, Fuck yeah, yeah. How did yeah. you find like? I, I don't know. It, the one thing I've always been absolutely useless at is climbing. 
And uh, that stayed with me, you know, from the start of my career, you know, right from the sort of junior days to, you know, my very last moment of being a you know, professional cyclist. I was just useless at going uphill. Yeah, you can't make it up because I couldn't have, I don't know, apart from being born in the Swiss Alps, you couldn't have been brought up in a hillier place. But no. There you go. It is. But, and it is one of the notes I, I, I don't often make notes on people, but I actually made notes on you on my iPhone, you know, nice. the notes section. And I did want to talk to you about how you weren't, sellout and when i say sellout you know you're the most down-to-earth guy i've ever met and the, the people here i'm sure would agree with me you know and i do think you are the most underappreciated underrated british athlete of the last 10 15 years without a shadow of a doubt you know if you had tattoos and you lived in london it would be a fucking different ball game you know but you don't care there isn't one ounce of kind of chauvinistic ego that you know you just so you'd give someone the um you know your last quid or whatever but the one thing that I'm most impressed about is that you stuck to what you knew and mm. you never really, you were always ripped up to fuck and like you were always dead lean. Try to put this in a, in a nice way. Were you ever obsessed about getting dead skinny and thinking, oh, do you know what? One day maybe I could be the type of sprinter who can get over bergs or did you just face facts that look, I can't climb? No, I, I give it a go. There was, um, there's a coach called Simon Jones. So I quite quickly, it sort of graduated from the, junior ranks, the academy ranks, you know, on the track. And then to the sort of the big boy program, the, the senior track squad in 2005, I think I rode the worlds in LA. We ended up going on to win the worlds, albeit I only rode in the qualifying round in team pursuit. Yeah, the <laughs> start of 2006, I think it was. Uh, so after the decent result in 2005, you know, the, the big boss endurance coach, Simon Jones took over coaching me, took me off Rod Ellingworth. And uh, it was like, right, Ed, you know, let's get serious about this. We can make Beijing, We, you know, we want to be a, a world tour road rider. We want to be, a, you know, one of the world best team pursuers, and we can do this in a few years. Yeah. And you know, I guess at that point in time, there was a belief that well, it's almost going full circle. But we will get to that in a bit. But th there was a belief at the time that you needed to be in a world tour team on the road. You know, doing the, the big grand tours to get the best out of your aerobically to be the best team pursuer in the world. And I knew at that point that I couldn't climb. So yeah, we. I think I went from probably the best part of eighty kilos right down to seventy two. Which um, and how long did that take? It was a surprisingly quick process, but you know, I was um, keen to impress and you know, I was doing the right things. I was going out and busting, you know, loads of zone free training, bits of threshold. You know, I was really not calorie counting, but it was just a case of like, you know, But you were hungry out. when you went to bed at night? I was hungry most of the day, to be honest. How um, can, can, can you go to bed at night hungry or does it crack you? Because I fucking hate it. You know, I want you to sleep. You don't feel hungry. So um, you just fight through it. Yeah. I mean, this is a long time ago, mate, 2006, five, but. Um, because eight yeah, kilos yeah. is a lot to, and did you, how did you find it impacted your performance? Was it? On the track, I got absolutely useless, you know, because I got on the bike as a 13 year old and, I, you know, I had a better peak power and a better sort of lactic tolerance and things like that. I guess the sad thing is the road rider and a climber, it worked remarkably well. Did and, it? you know, this is, um, I don't know if it's a problem, but this is definitely a thing. I won't name names, but when I speak to a few of the, you know, my world tour friends that, you know, are, road riders, you know, world tour road riders. It's all part and parcel of being a pro these days is, um, obviously there's a, there's a fine line, you know, and you can't just starve yourself, but. Do you think it's like bodybuilding? Because bodybuilding is, is it 50% diet, 50% working? Would, would, yeah. would you say world tour riding is now, you've got to be. You, you know you, what? Like if you look at the human engine, you have a heart and I have a set of lungs. And I think the, the hard facts are, you know, winning grand tours and an awful lot of road races about your aerobic power to weight ratio. And the ugly truth is that you can increase your aerobic power, you know, 
vice a, a certain amount, but you can reduce your weight by a larger percentage and not have a major drop off in aerobic power. You'll lose peak power for days. But, you know, I can't remember the last time you'd have seen a, a Grand Tour winner, you know, needing to make 1500 watts seated sprint, for example, to, you know, take home the yellow jersey. I think that what I'm saying is there's bigger gains to be made in losing weight than there perhaps is in, you know, aerobic. There's obviously a balance to be made. And I'm not saying they're, they're starving all the time, but it is a part of it. You know, they're very keen on the diet, very keen on the weight. And, you know, and for a few of them, I believe it's, you know, it's something that's as topical as their training is. Yeah. Yeah. That, tough at the top, eh? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to say I, I never had to live with that for long because, you know, even when I was at my climbing best, I was still rubbish. So I'm trying to like absorb what you're saying because we get a lot of people on here who get inspiration from knowing that they don't have to necessarily be skinny and yeah. you can achieve. Yeah, You're born how you're born. And I always believed if you eat and you will find your, you'll just find your path, you'll find your way, you'll just, uh, like, you know, when you sieve for gold, yeah. if you just keep sieving, if you just keep, you'll, you'll just find it. And I lost a load of weight, and um, and I and I hope you agree with this. I always looked, you know, I always looked horrendous. I was always, quite frankly, fat. And when I did lose a load of weight, I could climb. I got round prems. Yeah. And I remember seeing you. Have you ever won a prem? No, I think I got close when they had like a flat one in Blackpool or something like that. But... And I remember thinking this, and I remember speaking to someone on my team at the time about you. I was remember in a in a bus thinking. So I beat myself up. I could never finish prems. Couldn't do them. Couldn't do them. I mean, either. They're mate, always on some fucking horrific course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the arse end of nowhere. <laughs> and the time cut was always like something ridiculous, like five minutes. Yeah. yeah. So you had to, in normal races, it's what, like 40 minutes? Yeah. I don't know. But I, I also know that Premier Kansas, they were unique. There was no. Like, no, there was no racing like them. No, there was no like letting the brake go. And then, you know, people like me and you could sort of like claw our way back onto the peloton and take it easy while the main nah. teams, you know, controlled things and you get to whatever it was, 20, 25k to go. It was just racing from start to finish. And yeah. Up Blanchland or, or Chorley. Yeah. Where and I'm surely Grand Prix, man. Chorley from the, <laughs> bo from the bottom to the top was yeah. just Rivet Rivington Pike. Yeah, Chorley Grand Prix. I was like, <laughs> like I, I started that being race. Like, what, what, why are they doing circuits like this? Like, what's the? Why do they want to make it epic? They made um, circuit the fence one year. They put it across. Uh, the only thing that I can describe as a uh, as a boulder quarry rock site where everyone like sixty people punctured. Used to be a good race the year before. I don't know. I I I've all you know. Maybe I'm biased, man. But I've always been of the opinion that if there was a. a tough end to a relatively easy day you'd have great racing you know if it was hard at the start you know relatively easy in the, the middle hard at the finish you know the same rider's gonna win but there's gonna be more racing going on so guys like me and you you know we'd bust our ass to get over the first climbs or the difficult bit or yeah. whatever it is you know Abergavenny. yeah we potentially get back on in the easier bit you know while the race settled down there's a breakaway and the riders could actually work as a team to sort of control things you know, and then in the Ian Bibbies or whoever it was, oh. the world Scott Thwaites could sort of light it up. Moses, the last, yeah, yeah. The, the last, you know, all came together. Big Liam Hollihan's. There'd oh, yeah. always be a generic yep. type of rider that won prems. Yeah, they'd be the same people winning, but I just thought it'd be a better race. You know, there'd be 180 guys involved in the race until the last 5k, rather than it just being five. It, you know, that are, there's only five riders left in the game after 100k. I'm sure it's more difficult than it sounds. The logistics and traffic and. I don't know, they, they probably have to keep it on circuits these days just for 
It put, it put a lot of kids under pressure. It put me in because he was like, "You're yeah, gonna get yeah. round today." Can you remember yeah. people saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna yeah. get round. Yeah, get yeah. round, yeah. get round. And I was like, yeah. uh, "Probably not." And it, yeah. it really affected me for a long time. Um, mm, yeah, you know, I've got to finish. I've got to finish. But I had to lose. I had to lose ten kilos. I think I got down to seventy nine kilos. I think I had a vein. I had one vein. <laughs> but were you at that point? You asked me early. Were you at that point where you start to go to bed hungry and just think about it? all the time or uh, yeah it, yeah it was it was a conscious thing i got this guy at this gym tell me out a bit and stuff yeah, yeah i did it all clean i didn't take any drugs i didn't do anything untoward didn't no tobacco no whatever yeah it's a good start yeah. but it was well i got pneumonia and that's why i bet i kind of had to quit cycling because i got pneumonia because i just fucked my body i yeah. thought i could do the same thing yeah but yeah you may not have been great at prem z <laughs> But there's one thing that you fucking are good at, and that is crits. <laughs> Ed Clancy yeah. wins a crit everywhere he goes. Ed Clancy <laughs> wins a crit anywhere he goes. Nice, Tommy. Is, is there any? Is there any crit you haven't won? Ah, because I was going through BC yeah. from when you started to twenty. 2019 was when you stopped 2020 with virus yeah probably ended 19 i really 19. finished yeah and coronavirus was, finished it yeah and i was trying to look at your crits that you'd won yeah like doncaster town center yeah, yeah. you've won the nocturne a couple of times yeah, yeah um twice. you've won beverly once yeah, maybe twice beverly i won the beverly. nationals there one year i think yeah now you know we were talking earlier that might be in the race i did you with uh, i was at the end Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of Otley. Yeah, instead yeah, of Otley. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. Because you don't think you've won Otley. I, I haven't. I don't think I've won Otley. I finished second behind James McCallum. I think that was in 2009 or 2008, maybe, in the National Crit Champs. Yeah, there was one year. I don't know when it was. Maybe 2017 or 18. Or maybe it was earlier than that. Either way, I was barreling down the back straight. Like, everyone's... You go into that last corner first. And this, for everyone that doesn't know, it's, like, it's the most ridiculous last corner. <laughs> It's not like a sort of hairpin bend type thing where you sort yeah. of like go from barrier to apex to barrier, you know, take every inch of the road at like 35k an hour sort of thing. You, you basically do that on a big scale. You go from the outside barrier, taking every inch, hook it over like a MotoGP rider, skim the barrier on your inside, use all the road on the exit, all at about 99 kilometers an hour. <laughs> the thing is I spent so much energy on the downhill trying to get myself in that position. Yeah, I, I, I sat the bike about the corner, had absolutely zero legs. Adam Blythe comes on an absolute mission from God. And um, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, here we go. Yeah, finished second again. Um, but it's all right. It's a good job. Blythe's a good lad. Again, I've made some notes and crits was something I wanted to talk to you about uh, because crits, I think, are almost like a different sport. Yeah. They're, like, I think they should be. Like, I'm not fucking here. I'm, I'm looking you dead in the eyes, Ed. Uh, they cause me a lot of pain. Uh, I never averaged more than four laps in the tour series. You didn't? Uh, no, nope, no, never. I couldn't go around the corner. Uh, okay, the, the, yeah, the, there's the, a problem, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you kind of ripped up the rule book for crits. It's kind of double-ended here. One, you were uh, a big guy who could get a low center of gravity. And two, you did seated sprinting, um, which <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of want to come on to as well. But yeah. crits, how would you do them? It's, it's the best sport in the world, honestly. Um, if you're an alien, put it this way, and you came down and you'd ne you know, had no appreciation for like history or culture of cycling. Right. Now bear with me here. And 
you know, you, you, the Grand Tours are fascinating, aren't they? The way it like evolves over a three-week period and the teamwork and you see people have good weeks and bad weeks and, you know. And How are you trying to ex explain it to someone who doesn't know about, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you like, explain to like a non-cyclist and, you know, and then there's... The intricacies of a Grand Tour, yeah. Yeah, and there's different jerseys and it's not the person that wins on the end of this day, it's, it's the overall time and there's... there's they a, don't get it. It's like no. the offside rule in football. I know. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so obvious to me and you, but to, to explain it to a beginner, it doesn't make any sense, but... Well, I, how, why didn't Cavendish win the Tour de France? Yeah, <laughs> and, and the watch it you know when there's 99k to go and they can't understand why they're all, the bunch are riding along talking to each other like, oh, I put some effort in what are they doing and anyway the the point I'm making how, is how many times has someone said to you oh do you do the, have you done the, do you do the Tour de France have you done the Tour de France oh yeah <laughs> I've had that a lot yeah I bet you have yeah but you know if you're an alien you came down from space and you saw a crit you'd be like wow this is exciting there's you know a hundred maniacs uh, you know, full-grown men all dressed in like are all screaming and shouting at each other, like sprinting flat out into the first corner. There's a massive pile-up. And then, you know, after 45, 50 minutes of like pure action later, you've got a winner. And you've got a load of blokes in the back of an ambulance. And it's just, it's great racing, I think. And, you know, we're talking about the technical aspect of it there. And I've always loved bikes and I love bikes now, like trials bikes, mountain bikes. And, you know, it's, for me, bike riding that's, that's part of it i love it i love the fact that you know you to, to do a good crit it's not just about your physical attributes it's like you know what what tire presses am i running here where's that grid on the apex is that how much detail you'd go oh, into yeah i'd get my little google map man out and i'd go around the course you know before we'd get there i'd look at the weather look at the crosswinds i try you, you can't do everything you don't know where the barriers are going to be but you're trying to work out like you know what the road surface because you're on race day there's a lot going on so you basically did what formula one do I, well, yeah, I think a little grid, um, a they, track walk thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they yeah, uh, yeah, they yeah. get uh, uh, simulations yeah. on the um, on a on a yeah. camera and stuff. So is that what you would do? Yeah, I dare say I'm not like uh, total <laughs> wolf levels of like. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd get my Google Map man out. I'd go around the course. I'd try and get an idea of the severity of the turns and like you know what wheels I might want to run on the day and tire pressures and you know like a lot of riders would choose to sort of sit up there in the zone on the rollers warming up. You know, for me, as soon as the girls' race had finished, I could get on the circuit. I'd get on the circuit. You know, for me, that was more important than having a 100% optimized warm-up. I wanted to see the course. I wanted to pick my lines. I wanted to say, right, well, the barriers sort of go out here towards the left, you know, before we hook it into the right. I want to make sure I'm using that road so I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, crits is all about, it's great being at a break late and dive bomb and, you know, getting on the gas early and sort of sitting your bike up and, you know, doing all that stuff. But, you know, if you can, if there's, a bit like Moneyball, you know, if you're going to do one thing, like get on base or whatever it is, carry the highest possible apex speed, you know, less braking, less accelerating. If Are you being serious? Yeah, if there's a load of people in front of you, you know, can't go around the corner, create a gap before you get into that corner, you know, back off early, save yourself two or three pedal strokes, coast into it, and then rush the gap mid corner. You know, it's marginal gains and it you're saving. So you're not breaking. So you're not having to do energy to then kick back out. You're already carrying Exactly. It. There's no point in putting uh, energy into your brakes. You know, you're just creating heat and that's only coming from one place. It's That's you and your legs and your ability to sit there and compete in the last lap when it really matters. You know, and if you do that five times a lap, you know, I'm guessing some of these races were 30, 40 laps long and... Um, Adds up, doesn't it? Six laps a corner, six corners a lap, yeah, yeah. six times. You know, if there's, yeah. the, you know, for each corner, if you've saved, uh, even if it's only 100 watts for a, a, a five-second period, you know, that adds up to a, a decent chunk of energy, kilojoules at the end that you can deploy. 
not necessarily yeah not necessarily in the Sick sprint deploy but you know not necessarily in the sprint but if it means that you know you there's a sort of split decision where it's like oh, maybe I could stick my nose in the wind and move up here or maybe I should just sit tight and gamble and hope that Steel Van Off doesn't dive bomb me he was good wasn't he yeah but he he dive bombed me once at Rutland and I I told it? him not to do it again <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? I've never seen anything like in my life. Only him and Alex Peters have ever done it. It was one of those moments in cycling where you just go, how's he done that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was obviously the opposite of being technically good. Yeah, but yeah. he he braked by going into people. <laughs> and I looked and I went, uh, and Alex Peters once did it where you'd use your arms a bit like that and uh, yeah, you, yeah. your bike would fit between... Yeah. The two people. Yeah. And I looked at it and I went, I can't believe I've just seen that. Mm, yeah. And, yep. then, and, then, and then you know the difference between men and boys <laughs> and how I shouldn't have been there. And I was like, and then, which brings me on to you. You won't remember this, but I remember this. I rode for Herbalife and we did Oxford Tour Series that Scott won that day. Did I do something terrible? No, you did the opposite of something terrible. And I wanted to tell you, I was really nervous. I'd finished work managed to get off work early, drove down to Oxford, knew I wouldn't last more than four or five laps. I never did in crits because if you're at the back, the elastic, you physically, you'd have to be exceptionally to hang on to ride last man in. Yeah, Because yeah. that one was like a hot dog. No, it wasn't quite a hot dog. It was a T-shape. No, it wasn't a T-shape. It was like... Which circuit was this, sorry? It was Oxford. It was... Oh, like a Y shape, wasn't it? It was um, a Y shape. Yeah, You've yeah. got it. Oh, so if wow. you were coming out with one side, the other people, and I remember seeing them. Mm. So anyway, I thought I'd get on the course early, like you said, and I saw you. I was like, all right, I'm going to follow this guy, see what he does. And you won't remember it. And you were going around the corner at the top like that. And I was like, right, Tom, just follow his line. Just follow his line. You'll be all right. I couldn't do it. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was too scared to bank it over. We were quite far back at that point. We were both like somewhat together, were we? No, this was in the warm-up. This was before the uh, race started. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. follow you because mm. everyone was saying you were going to win. Mm, I didn't know, but I, yeah. And I followed you and I even said to you, oh, I can't remember what I said to you. And you were dead nice. You were, you, oh, what did you say back to me? You said, you said something like, oh, you'll be fine. Because I was like, oh, I don't dare do that. That's what I said. I said, oh, how do you do that? I don't dare do it. Yeah. Because yeah. for some people, cornering is is really hard Ed yeah for, yeah, for you, yeah. you you won't get it but the thought of leaning over is 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 for some people it's bloody hard I love it though I love like the motorsport and the motor there's a bit of science behind it I like that you know and well, then you'd be amazed like you know just for a start how hard you can break you know in a straight line even in the wet you know it's all on the front brake because your back wheel's in the air, but you'd be amazed how hard you can brake and how many problems that gets you out of for a start. And then going into a corner, yeah. you know, that's dangerous. If you're hard on the front brake and you're banked over, yeah. that's dangerous, you know? So you're not asking the tire to do two things at once. You brake hard and if you're on a mission, you, know, you coast into it, brake hard, brake late in a yep. straight line. And as soon as you start turning in, it's like yeah. you don't have to let go of the front brake, but you want to be easing off it. As you're asking more and more of that front tire in terms of cornering, you're asking less and less in terms of the front brake. Yeah, yeah. You know, at that point, there's because you're banked over, your center of gravity is going lower, which means you've got more weight on the back wheel. And See, you, you know, if you're going to lose a wheel, you want to lose your back wheel. So you know, you want to be trail breaking your back wheel up to the apex. And as soon as you're at the apex, you know, if you're not asking ridiculous things in terms of both braking and cornering from either your front or back tyre, you know, you can, I don't know, it's just, it's like walking a tightrope, isn't it? You just, it's but, a but delicate you were balance. The, and, you were the, the best at, 
you know, uh, John Mould was really good. Yeah, Mould um, was good. Yeah. Russ Downing was very good. Dean Downing was very good. Graham Biggs, Graham Briggs was exceptional at crits. <laughs> he was good in the wet, wasn't he? Yeah, but, unreal. It was the same people running, winning every week at crits because it was just like you literally, but you look different and you, yeah. So seated sprinting, yeah. Talk us through that, like, because I get it. I could never. I was faster in the saddle than I was out. Yeah, I don't know if it's something to do with that body makeup, but um, have you I've tried sprinting a, out the saddle? And you yeah, just like, yeah, you know, for, for very short periods, like on the track, you know, you can definitely like you won't want to do a, a start from a dead standstill seated. You know, you no. can clearly make more torque at low RPM out the saddle. But I mean, even at the end of a tour series, which is you know, fifth, uh, an hour or an hour and ten minutes or whatever, I was I was that sort of fatigued that. I mean, I could still make more than enough peak power seated, you know, to win the sprint. Let's look at it in terms of numbers. You could stay seated and make 1,200 watts seated and win the race. Or you could get out of the saddle, you know, like a big kite flapping in the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're able to make more power, but, you know, to go the same speed, you'd have to be in 14 or 1,500 watts. And, so, so was it an actual decision? Yeah, yeah I, I didn't do it to take the mick or anything like that. It, for me, it was genuinely faster. You know, if I got out the saddle and tried doing 1,600 watts, I'd, I'd go slower than if I was doing 1,200 watts seated. So and, I just um, used to look at you and think, God, this guy's taking the piss out of everyone. Nah, there, was, there was one time I got out the saddle, I think, in Aberystwyth. It had been a relatively easy race. I had good legs. There was a, I'd sort of, like, positioned well. I coasted into that last corner. I think Moldy was behind me. And um, Anyway, I, I got out the saddle then, and I do sprint faster stood up when I'm fresh. You know, like, People ask me about the Tour de France and uh, there's more chance of me being a team sprinter than there would have been a Grand Tour rider. I'm a bit of a fast twitcher and just getting to the end of the race was the hard bit. And, you know, the sprints that I didn't win weren't because I wasn't faster than everybody else at that point. You know, in terms of my sprint wasn't good enough. It's just, I just fill with acid, mate, and tie up, you know, I was cooked, cooked unit. And that's something you've learned from me, but you, you just know it's a fact. Yeah, he just, I mean, there was no science behind this. When just I started doing it, guy. it just felt right. Yeah. So is yeah. your optimal between 20 seconds and three minutes, four minutes? Because you won a prologue at... Oh, Suntour, yeah. Suntour, you won yeah, a prologue. Yeah. But you also won... Something I did want to ask you about, uh, stage one tour of Berlin. Oh, yeah. Uh, was that Lambar credits? No? It yeah. might have been when we were riding for a GB or Sparkas or something like Sparkas. that. Sparkas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that like winning? Because that was a big race back then, yeah. winning the first stage. Did you win that and think... Because I know you've got a list of an endless. You know what? That list might have of... even been GB, like an under twenty three sort of thing. But either way, because yeah, that must have been a moment. That must have been a moment for that, you. That was a massively pivotal moment, I think. And people don't of... talk about that with you. No. Stage one of Tora Berlin, because you could have. Yeah. So yeah, leading up to that, I was I was pretty new into the the cycling game. I didn't do a lot as a, a juvenile or junior. In fact, I'd done about one one and a half road races by the time I was on the under twenty three program. Yeah, go. I've got Rod Ellenworth as like, you know, the DS and John Errity. Um, yeah, John Errity like looking after us. And after the first day of, um, yeah, we've done a, like a series of road races and I was just, I was terrible. We did this race called Triptyque and under 23 World Cup and got absolute batter in. And anyway, we ended up doing some race before Berlin and I just, I just couldn't do it. 
I just what I was mean? just intimidated by the other riders. I didn't have any confidence in the bunch, anything like that. I mean, my actual bike handling skills were decent. You know, I could pull a good wheelie and a stoppie <laughs> and that. But I just had ne- it's scary. You know, you're in a, a bunch of like um, men. Yeah, men, and you just your first year under twenty three. You don't feel like you should be there physically. You're not as good as them. Tactically, you're not as good as them. And yeah, John Erity and Rod called me into the room and I was like, Ed, how are you doing? I just like I sat on the floor and started crying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was just like, I just can't do this. I just can't do it, John. And um, how fine's that line between <laughs> being able to do it and not being able to do it? Because uh, we're the most confident people in the world, but we're also would would you would would you say we're also the most vulnerable? Like not like one thing we don't believe in ourselves. Yeah, I think belief and confidence are big. You know, because Mark Cavendish said he doesn't yeah. need a psychi- psychiatrist. You need just need someone to tell him how good he is, and I do get that. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's arguably the same thing, isn't it? But anyway, I sat on the floor crying in front of Rod and, and, and John, and I remember John said, don't worry, Ed, like, you know, we've thrown you in the deep end, you know, with the sharks. And he's like, you're not sinking, you're swimming, but there's still a few sharks gnawing away at your foot. And I was like, oh, fair play. And he, 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 Rod and him just said, look, Ed, you, you've got this, you, you know, you'll be doing better in a few races time. And literally the, the next day was Tour of Berlin. Stage one. Yeah, we decked it on some, it was pissing it down with rain, and I decked it on some train tracks like really early in. And it was the same story again. I just couldn't get to the front. I was just like getting pushed all over the place. Nearly at the back of some parked car, I went skidding at the side of it. And anyway, I somehow like hustled my way up to the front just as everyone had given up about 80K in. And uh, Geraint was there and... He just said, Ed, follow that move. And I looked across and there was like, you know, some random Belgian guy like going flat out on the other side of the bunch. <laughs> is, is he a friend of yours, Garrett Thomas? Is he yeah, yeah, good friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I followed this one move, the one move I followed all, and that was the race winning move. So how did he know that? He didn't. It was just like, I just, I think God might have just looked down at me and be like, I'm going to throw this guy a bone. And anyway, me and this ra- random Belgian guy were hacking away and a few more people came up towards us and yeah, it led to a big seated sprint. And, and that was like a pivotal moment because I was like, you know what? Just one stage, we're on Tower Berlin. We can do this, yeah, yeah. And like you said, back in the day, you know, those those races were important, and you know that everyone who was anyone in the world of road racing was there, and you know, yeah, we oh, just win the stage, field, we had the points yeah. race, we had the yellow jersey. And it was like I just couldn't believe it, like the turnaround from being sat on the floor, floor crying like forty eight hours before, and I I don't think without that I'd have just given up on road racing, crit racing, everything, and just been a tracky. And you know, I think people remember me and know me as the track rider first and foremost, but. That was a pivotal moment, that tour of Berlin. Yeah. So glad I asked you that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I was looking at it thinking, this has gone under the radar. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, this is a breakthrough moment no one talks about. Yeah, a breakthrough moment is um, is the right yeah, saying for it. But back to that confidence thing, you know, it's you see it in like the young guys like Ethan Hayter, Matt Walls, you know, they, they have the first win and then... Tom Peacock? They can't stop winning. What do you think to Tom Peacock? Yeah, he's... Lethal, unbelievable. He's um, arguably the the best talent that we've we're ever going to see come out of this country. Yeah, no doubt about it. He can do everything. I tell you what, that is true. Actually, think like, think about this. So many a time you see like a junior or a young under twenty three come up through the ranks, and he'd be like, oh, fair play, that guy's got a great sprint and he's got great bike handling skills. But he can't. He ain't really got any endurance. He can't back up day to day stuff. And vice versa. Sometimes you see people that got a great aerobic engine. Yep. They got a great sprint but they've got useless bike handling skills or tactical awareness. I, I, I tell you what, like I first saw Tom Pidcock really up and close in that Rutland Melton race. Yes. So there's 
cobbles everywhere. It's really hard to position yourself. And it's hillier than people say. Yeah, it's hillier than people say. You're riding a bike like a cyclocross world champion, as you'd expect. I, I didn't know this at the time. He was communicating with his team. He could he quite clearly had a good command of like his team and his teammates, but a respect for them too. It'd just pop up magically right before every cobbled section. And like that is hard. Unless you're Luke Rowe. You know, that is one of the most difficult things to do in, in road racing. And um yeah, he's he's got great sprint, great endurance, he can back it up. And believes and, in himself. Yeah. He's he's got that confidence thing, hasn't he? That yeah, he's yeah. just like that they say that Remco's got it as well. Yeah, yeah. He's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, just on no one next no, level. No one has ones next to the name in cycling all the time. <laughs> no no yeah. one. It's yeah. not done. Yeah. You you don't win all the time. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you rarely win. Yep. But he seems to do that. And it's like and he played the like I'm not being funny, the guy played football. <laughs> he was playing football for Belgium. He was like Belgium captain for under sixteens or something. Yeah. And yeah. he just thought, no, I'll just do cycling. Not to know. Did, did you remember watching the, the <laughs> that junior road um the junior worlds, he just sort of like rode off and And he, he didn't ask the guy for a turn because no. he knew he'd just drop him. Yeah. Fair play to him. Imagine having that in your locker. Oh, thing of dreams, isn't it? But the Tour of Berlin and then you Stagiaire. Did you did you stagiaire for T Mobile? Am I wrong with that? There was like a T Mobile development team. So that was myself, right. Cav. It was funny enough, it was that Tour of Berlin resort, I think, that got me in there. So and that was... picture of you with you, Ulrich and Thomas, that's such a photo, <laughs> mate. It is, yeah. Yeah. Did you speak to him? A little bit, yeah. His English wasn't that good, but um he genuinely seemed like a, a friendly fella. And he, of course at the time that was before any of his uh, you know, the Scandal. doping scandals yeah, yeah. came out and he's had arguments with his neighbor and things like that since. But it, honestly, at the time, he was a nice fella and he didn't have to be nice to us kids. And no. he was all right. He said hello and um, asked how the race was going. Because I think that was, we had like a little media session in the morning of the last stage of Tour of Britain ahead of the, the it's not a crit, it's more like a comess, isn't it, for the last day? In London. But yeah, yeah, not, nothing bad to say about the fella, you know, meeting him in person, yeah. And then your path... You maybe, I, I don't know, did you know that you wanted to become three-time Olympic gold team pursuit champion then? Or was that path not so clear where you were going? How did that path open up? Because obviously I want to talk to you about Beijing, yeah. uh, London and Rio. But did you kind of, what made you go for those? How did you fall into that? You know what, like nobody ever asked you when you're, 16, 17 years old, like, you know, what do you want to go on and achieve? And to be fair, even if somebody asked me that, I wouldn't have told them. But I mean, secretly, I, I almost disappointed that you weren't better. You know, if somebody said like, how many Olympics do you want to win? I'd be like, all of them. And, oh, you know. That's a mentality. Yeah. Though. And what do you want to do in the Tour de France? I was like, well, I'd like to win it at least two or three times. Is, is that something that you wish you'd <laughs> no. done? Is that, was that something oh, you Oh, mate. You'd... You can't look at those, you know, the big team buses and the big contracts. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, my old mate Geraint and, you know, Pete Kenner was out there on the continent. And he, yeah, I'd have loved to have been able to do that as well. But um, the, the truth is I had my physical limitations and um, there, there was a decision that I had to make, you know, around my mid-20s really. There was never really an opportunity to go world tour, to be fair, before or after Beijing. But if there ever was a chance, you know, when I was, you know, fresh off the back of Beijing, we had a bit of road pedigree in the under-23 ranks you know, would become Olympic champion. If I'd have sort of step, set my stall out there, trained, ate like as a road rider, agreed to ride for a nominal wage, you know, for the first year or so. You could have maybe done it. I dare say you'd have found someone that had taken interest. And I'm 100% sure I could have made a career riding the road 
carrying bottles around for somebody way better than me. And that's all it had ever been. Fuck. And I, I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. I, you know, everyone, Good on you, man. That's yeah, cool. I mean, that. everyone knew no, British Cycling was a great place to be at that point in time. We had the home Olympics coming up. I was starting to look at this Omnium event and things like that. And I was like, you know what? We could potentially be a double Olympic champion, home Olympics. And I was like, I don't care about team buses, man. I want to have a go at that instead. Um, so that's what we did. Like, you know, we alluded to it earlier. And I, I, I knew the pressure that Johnny and Alistair were under in the triathlon and stuff at the home Olympics. Can you put it into words, the pressure? Or is it hard to kind of... Because you seem to me someone who's uncrackable. Um, the way you got out of the car in the car park, the way you were a very bouncy person, you're someone who I wish I would have been on the same team as I was never as good as you. I think I'd have really got on with you. Do you think you're uncrackable? No. I'm, do you get, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you ever get depressed? Oh, I get down, mate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I've been down, you know, during periods. I mean, depression's a strong word. and you know, It, it I've would really help people. with the podcast if you had like a bit of a mental health like, problem. Yeah. <laughs> No, mate, I, I, you know, yeah, it's true, mate. Depression's a, a difficult word and I'm reluctant to use it, you know, because um, I've, it's a met, big word. I've met people and I've spoke to people that, that have had it. And you know, so for me to say, oh, you know, when I've been down and I've sort of like been sort of self-isolating in a man cave for four days, I mean, that's not depression. That's feeling low and sort of being able to not being able to pull the curtains back. But that's not depression. Um, am I uncrackable? I mean, I've got to say, I've I've never really cracked mentally on a big day i've never cracked but that doesn't mean i don't bend under pressure man like er everyone feels the pressure um no matter how much sort of mental training you've done and how much thought you've given it beforehand and how good your uh performance consultants are and the team psychologist is you know to totally detach yourself from that limbic lobe that just fills with blood when you're in your home olympics and you've been surrounded by you know because it was thousands on because i'm not being funny yet and you must look back at this moment daily. Daily? Do you think about it daily? No, no, no. But you, you must look back at that moment with was it, the team of suit was Brad, wasn't it? Was it you, Brad? In London, so Beijing was me, Brad, Geraint, and Paul Manning. London was me, Geraint, uh, Pete Kenner, and Stephen Burke. Stephen Burke. Yeah. What do you say to each other the night before? Like, are you allowed to go out? Are you allowed to, you know, is it like, don't you snore tonight? Or... What's the level of commitment here we're talking about? You probably don't shake anyone's hand for about six months going into it. Because you you're scared of getting something. Yeah, yeah, man. You don't walk to the supermarket. You get home delivery because you don't want to be on your feet. You want get to be, a fuck. No, mate. You, you eat, you sleep, you ride your bike. That's it. You know, there's no there's no, uh, there's no, no birthday parties, no weddings, no funerals. You know, the, the things have... It's, um, no, you, what? You said nice, say, say that again? You know, you know, start the podcast, you said nice things about me, mate. But honestly, you become... No so no. self-absorbed in your little mission to get your skin suit on and ride around a big wooden track dead fast. You don't go to your mate's weddings, you know, stag do's, you forget about it. You won't go a kilometre down the road to celebrate your mate's birthday if you know you're going to be lured into a, a bottle of Corona and some birthday cake. You just wouldn't bother. You just stay home, you get your head down, you'd be in bed at 10 o'clock, you're up at 8, you know, you're out on your bike at 10. That's it. You don't shake people's hands. It's awkward. A journalist comes up to you, says, oh, can you have a word? And be like, yeah, sure, but... Um, yeah, no, no handshakes, mate. I just want to make sure I don't get a cough or a cold or anything. You know, it's always on your mind. Everything you eat, everything you drink, uh, what time you go to bed, what time you get up, how well have you slept, what pillow have you got in your bed. You know, every pedal Ed, revolution, Ed, you blow you're thinking, my mind you're thinking here, about mate. how you're feeling, you know. You're always you like blow trying my to, mind here. 
This yeah, is yeah. really like next level shit. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to be though. Um, I, I think most athletes are like that, and I, you, I definitely had to be. I wasn't good enough just to sort of wing it. You know, no alcohol. Wear your food. Ah, no, no, no. And even now, I've retired, man. I still don't do it just because it's a habit. It's just weird <laughs> i know mate yeah that's the most bizarre thing you think as soon as you cross that line you just eat terrible food and you'll get drunk and you, know, you walk around everywhere and it's like time and time again you know the first thing i do tommy is i get out of bed and you know i walk across to the bathroom to do your thing but what i'm thinking is like oh my legs how's my back feeling is my back all right oh my god I have a bad back day and it's like uh, i don't know and, and, and you, yourself yeah and by the time you've sat down you're like hang on a minute i don't even have to worry about that anymore it's just these ingrained habits, like, it's strange, yeah. Are you coping with it all right? You know, I struggled early on. Like, I really struggled. And, you know, we came off the back of a bit of a loss as well. And say a bit of a loss, you know, that was the worst Olympic performance GB's had for a long time. Did and anyone ring you up and go, Ed, how are you doing? Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of key people, actually. But, um, yeah, no, you need people like that in your life. Because, unfortunately, with cycling, we... Um indirectly we fuck off a lot of people who, who were close to us like you just said weddings yeah, funeral. yeah. Uh, i didn't see my mates for five years and yeah. um i didn't go to stag do's yeah. miss my best mate's wedding um, what else did i miss uh, yeah everything yeah. and when you look back at it now i love to get invited to those things now yeah 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 i love it yeah, it's, I've always thought, like, you know, we spoke earlier about it. It's hard work going out in the rain for six hours, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the UK when it's hailing sideways and that. That's hard work and then doing it two, three, four, five, six, seven days in a row. That's hard. But for me, like, the, the thing that was probably even harder is the things you can't do. You know, it's the things you can't do. You can't you see a random football, like, rolling towards you, you know, on a football ground. You know, every, like, bit of you just wants to, like, boot it back to the kids, but you're like, well, I'm not going to do that just in case I stub my toe into the floor and like, you know, ruin my um... season. Yeah, exactly, mate. So, mate, so honest, things, yeah. so honest. You, you know, every level... time you sort of, like, as I said earlier, I love my bikes, I love mountain bikes, my trials bike and stuff like that. And, you know, I had to sort of like abstain from fun, you know, for such a long period of time. Of course, you had the odd day, like, you know, between seasons, but. Yeah, but they do say delayed gratification is the main success for people who are successful because yeah, you, right, yeah. yeah, because you, um, you resisted temptation left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere around you for a bigger goal. And you can read John Peterson. Even the Bible says it. That's why people sacrificed. Yeah. Sac sacrifice was for a greater goal. So that's kind of what you did. You are the epitome of sacrifice for uh, the ATM starts. The non-alcohol. That's why people go on diets to sacrifice to look, to look better. Yeah. So yeah. you were the definition of that. Yeah, I guess so. So life starts again, eh? But um, yeah, I mean, back to the start of your question. It was I've pretty lost early on. You know, we were off the back of a a loss, and at that point in time, you know, I never thought to look sideways really to like, you know, what do I really enjoy? What do I want my future to look like? Because I was just all I thought about was winning one more team pursuit gold medal and. You know, trying to sign off on a, a good note. Uh, knew it was going to be difficult, but, you know, I gave it everything I had. And, um, you know, it didn't work out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point in time. It, it was difficult to start with. Um, and, well, yeah, whilst there are a few, there were absolutely a couple of key people that sort of, like, you know, reached out and, like, knew you were going through a bit of a shit patch. You know, there's a lot of people, yeah, not purposely, you know, but people go quiet on you. 
you know, just because you're not in the loop, you're not in the yeah, clip yeah, anymore. Exactly, yeah. You know, they're not doing it to oh, Ed's, Ed's ashamed himself and the nation, like we're not gonna ring him this week. You know, but a lot of people like you're just not on the radar. You're not you're not going to like the after party events and things like that. And talk us through the after parties. So so re uh, London when you won in 2012. Yeah, yeah. Can you just give us a 24 hour breakdown of the morning when you won what you did? Yeah. So because if you tell me you just went home and had a cup of tea, Ed. No, no. With is it Boris? Did you have Boris then? The cat? <laughs> no, I didn't have him. That no, no. Yeah, I remember it well. So uh, the day after the team pursuit, I was riding the Omnium for the next two days. Uh, Berkey, Geraint, Pete Kenner had all been out on the lash. And like I woke up. They didn't make a noise, to be fair, when they got back to the apartment. But it was like a scene out of World War Three. honestly. It was just like just bodies and like clothes and just cack everywhere, bed sheets. I'm sure Geraint was sleeping outside on a little balcony. <laughs> and uh, Berkey was like hanging off the edge of his bed with a bucket full of sick in front of him. Um, Hang on. And, th and you've got the team pursuit? Oh, they, they, I'd done the team pursuit. I had the Omnium. They didn't make a noise, though. I just woke up at like 8 a.m. or whatever it was to get my kit on and go to breakfast and then get down the track for the Omnium. <laughs> just like stepping over the carnage. Uh, so that was the first night. And to be fair, those boys hung around for me for the next 48 hours so we could go out and have a big one together big one. after the Omnium. And um, the Omnium went well. I came away with a bronze medal, which was, um, you know, it was a... Uh, in an event like that, I was buzzing. So we had a bronze to add to the gold. And uh, as you'd expect, Garant's on the phone to his agent. Uh, we had a big treasured chest of um, goodies, sat in Mahikis with like the East Ender stars and you know, I mean, really? all, the, all the B list celebrities on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was that like? Oh, well, as and what's you, as the medals like? Like, do you get a letter from anyone, the Queen? Like, where'd you keep your medal? Like, what do you do with all the little things that people don't know about? Oh, yeah, you get all sorts of stuff when do you, you do get well. randomers coming up to you and going, like, you did your country proud. Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, about a week later, it was a closing ceremony. And um, I don't know what time we came back from our night out in the morning, but I was on the tube. You know, I'd love in, to see <laughs> you on the tube. I'd love to see you on the tube. <laughs> full, full, like, Olympic, uh, you know, closing ceremony tracksuit, head, head to toe. Mate, I know what you were doing. We were you, you, it no, must no. be so easy to pull if you're <laughs> head to toe. I know what you were doing there. <laughs> Nah, none of that. I, I was going back with the lads and um, yeah, you know what? I've never seen people talk and like, um, you know, I've fun on the tube before, but everyone, like they knew what we'd just been, ste we're still steaming drunk and they're obviously going to work and we were trying to get our way back to Stratford. Like we just couldn't fathom how to use the underground. And anyway, we got there eventually, but uh, after about a thousand selfies with people, I, oh. I haven't seen them circulating, but I'm glad hopefully everyone's lost their phone since then. But Yeah. And yeah, that, that sort of lifestyle continued for about a week or so, but I, you know, I quickly get bored of it and then yeah, yeah. just on to the next one. On to the next one. Yeah. This is the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. It's just incredible to think that you were in that, because people who did win a gold medal at, at London, they were just adored. Yeah. It, it, like next level. Like, yeah. do you, what's the drop off like from that when you actually, four days later, you're back in home Firth and it's like, are you all right? Because for me, you know, my addictive personality, my yeah, yeah. Uh, addict nature, I'd still be searching and clucking for that high. Yeah. Yeah. First things first, like, at that adored point, it was like that, you know? And uh, I know you're into your football and things like that. You know, <laughs> football is like an ultra competitive sport and you could argue the best football players in the world are the best athletes that, yep. you know, we have. But, you know, for as much love as they get, you know, from their fans, they'll get just as much hate, you know, from 
you know, like, as an Olympian, when you get a gold medal, I don't really know why this is. I'm not complaining, like, but everyone loved us. You know, oh, yeah. nobody felt bitter towards us. Nobody felt like, oh, I don't know, because you're a Liverpool player, not a United. You know what I mean? We, we never really divided opinions. So it was just pure love, which was obviously great. The drop-off, it just feels like... How do you go from that to racing National B in the UK? Yeah, I wasn't that bothered, man. You know, me, I've, I've never been one to sort of like jump up and down and sort of do celebrity get me out of here and things like that. So, I mean, I... Did you get all those sort of things? Because I think my agent had an offer for maybe the the ice one, but I, I'm just not interested. I'm not interested. But you are. But you are so. This is when I say about you being the most underrated British athlete the 10, 15 years. If you'd plugged yourself and you'd been, you know, Instagram selfies and mm. um, you you moved to London and you probably got some edgy tattoos and you you wore some cool glasses and. But if you did all that, do you think you would have? No, but you're not a sellout, are you? You're just like you're just so honest, and you just. So... I'm not very good at like bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I, good at bullshit or like lying. I've just, and you know, if you're right, <laughs> values, man. You know what? When you're on your deathbed, Tommy, and you're looking back at your life, and you know, little great grandson Tommy's at the bottom there, and he's like, "Great granddad Tommy Bustard, what am I going to do with my life? What's important? What matters? You know, what are you going to tell him?" It's important to have a load of followers on Instagram. I'd tell them to just like, you know, do what you want, man. You know, there is no right and wrong. You know, do that if you want, but just do what makes you happy. And for me, I fucking loved riding my bike. I loved that team, you know, to the bitter end. And it was a bitter end in Tokyo. I loved it. I cared about that. Yeah, you know, you go on social media, you do your bit. I've got no passion for it, you know. I'll take a picture of the cat now and again, a few pictures of the bikes and uh, great, I won a race today. Do you know what I mean? You know, people know that's how I am and... I was always good with that. You know, Great Britain sighting team were good with that. Uh, my agent, Andy Digweed, always had my back from that point of view. He never pushed me to do things I didn't want to do. And, you know, he always found jobs for me that kind of suited me and my values. And, you know, I was happy. And, you know, looking back on it, would I change that? Nah, man. I, of course you wouldn't. Nah, I, I loved it. And, you know, I, yeah, honestly, I ain't interested in like the, the followers and stuff like that. You know, don't get me wrong. It, for everyone that's come up to me in the supermarket, for everyone that's given me a like on social media and that, uh, you know, for everyone to give me a pat on the back afterwards and says, you know, well done, Ed. You know, we really enjoyed that. And, you know, that means the world to me. But I, I don't have any like love or passion for, for posting. Uh, you know, I'm relatively private compared to probably not your average person, but compared to your average Olympian, I'm probably quite... Or yeah, your of average you star, I'm probably quite a private person. Of course you are. You know, there's loads and loads of people I know that aren't cyclists that just don't do Facebook, social media and that at all. But that's just normal because, you know, loads of people don't. But if you're a sports person and you don't, you know, do it, then that's, you know, an anomaly. And um, I, I couldn't care less, to be honest. Mate, it's just phenomenal. Honestly, just what you said then about the bed. You've got your grandson looking at you and he says, look, you know, What's life like? What is life about, Tom? That really hit me. That I was like, I couldn't really answer because I've been through such a. You know, I've been through. I think everyone knows what I've been through. Like I'm four months sober today. Exactly four months today. Being through hell and back, basically. Uh, I've had to come to a few realizations that one day I'll let people know, but I'm still not in that place where I can really talk about that. What are those values, man? That's yeah. it. I mean, like being true to you know, being honest. Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, like this, 
sort of like originate with Steve Peters that kind of planted this seed. Did you work with him? Yeah, I did, yeah. And they always speak about this stuff with Phil Kelly from Pro Noctis. And, you know, she's, I believe in this stuff, man, you know. And um, there's certain facts of life that, you know, the, the goalposts move. Life is unfair. And um, there's another one that Steve used to tell me. Life's, <laughs> we'll have to cut this as well. <laughs> the goal, <laughs> the goalposts move. Life's unfair. There are no guarantees. That's a good one. I mean, who, for example, would have seen coronavirus coming? You know, so it, those are facts of life. And, you know, whether you value those facts or not, they are things that you, it's kind of hard to dispute. But your values are kind of, they're yours, aren't you? Is it more important to be uh, rich and famous? Or is it more important to be honest and humble and, you know, do the right thing, whatever that may be? And, you yeah, know, but some people value their friends. Some people value their family. You know, what's more important? The way people treat you is blood thicker than water you, sort you, of thing. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in a higher power? Mm, I wouldn't rule it out, mate, but I'm not a religious man. But the world is a funny place, mate. And um, yeah, yeah I, I was reading some, I can't remember the name of the book. I was reading some sort of science book on like, you know, the world and the universe. Now it's created and that. And um, it was a Hawkins book, Stephen Hawkins. I forget the title of the book, but right. anyway, I read that. And obviously it was a science type book. And I was like, wow, really? Or like... I don't know. It's so complex for a man like myself. Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. Why don't we start talking about where the universe ends? It's just too much, isn't it? I was on a walk with dad the other day and we got chatting about it again. <laughs> we got a mate who's an astronomer. When yeah. he went to Oxford, right? Double first. Complete opposite to me. Like, he's clever and shit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he started trying to describe a black hole to us. Yep. On this three hour walk. What what is it? Go on. It's, it's, it's like dark matter. It's so it's like so dense and heavy. It sucks in everything, including light itself. Right? He, that... he, he didn't he didn't scratch the surface. He said for yeah. me to like tell you about what a black hole is, the infinite, oh, man. its infancy, like a vacuum. Mm. And then he told me about his concept on where the universe ends. And right, oh mate, it's <laughs> it's just you know that it's so interesting. It is, isn't it? So I was lost. Yeah. You know when you meditate, you meditate so your mind is quiet. Yep. That's why you do it. So my mind is unhealthy and I'm getting it healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for that three hours, Ed, my mind was quiet. Yeah. And all I was, I was just obsessed with what he was telling me mm. about black holes in the universe. <laughs> and I was just like, it was, it was just incredible. It's it nuts, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, so you're not going to be on Strictly. You're not going to be doing Dancing on Ice, whatever it is. Well, not tomorrow anyway. I would love to see you doing commentary, the Eurosport stuff. I think you are absolutely made for that. Because you're so, you're so down to earth, mate. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm not ruling it out. I spoke to Orla a little bit, you know, yeah. when we were doing the Track Champs League and I sort of said, I don't know, I'm made for it and that. And you she, are? She, yeah, she said that she thinks that. So I'm not going to argue with her. So I, I'll put my name forward next year. I think there's a, we need more Northern commentators. No, 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 no. I'm not being disrespectful. We need you there. You've got this sense of realization. You are down to earth. You are charismatic. I really hope someone is listening from the Eurosport or someone gets you doing that. Because I honestly- I'll sleep with that tenor soon, good man. Yeah, yeah. No, but I would. like. I like Magnus Baxter. I think he's mint. Yep. I really like how he does it. Sean Kelly is obviously Sean Kelly. He's a goat. He's just a- do the calculation and um, <laughs> it's a funny one the commentary because it is a big deal for me the cycling especially the tour if it's on for five hours every day i want to be listening to someone good yeah 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 i, I really like adam blive as well he's um you'd be better you would be better 
I don't know. Blythe's pretty. The thing with Adam is he's got a real good. He was always like this on the bike. He's got a good sense of like the tactics and the sort of team knowledge and things. He like is that. good at that, actually. Yeah. Dave Miller does I, that, but I feel like he does it a little bit. Yeah. He, he, I feel like obviously, like I'm not going to ask you for opinions, head, but because you can't. Dave's good. I like Dave Miller. Um, he's, he's smart as well. He, you know, he, he's he's very. He's like the definition of someone who's like a maths teacher on a bike. He's mm. just. I can imagine he must have just worked everything out. You know, he's like his use of it sounds like something nothing, but his use of the English language sounds like such a basic thing to say. But he's good with his words. I know, but he's part of that nuanced urban crowd who's all dead cool and oat milk. <laughs> and, for me, cycling is northern, and that's that. Yeah, I know yeah. he is Scottish, by the way. Sorry, but he probably lives in Richmond now or something. But you know, I would love to see it. But you know, yeah, that's for yeah. tell us about Pursuit Line because this is uh, this is your new Panua. Well, you know, earlier we started talking a little bit about mindset and how I dealt with dealing under pressure and like, you know, living by your values and making decisions by that. And it's just, it's not a cycling coaching thing. It's, right. um, so I've been working um, as an ambassador for a fellow called Phil Kelly that yeah. has a company called Pro Noctis, which is a human performance company. His job is he, he delivers speeches he goes into companies, he works out where there's a disconnect. Um, it's not just about hitting numbers and making targets and selling stuff. It's about, you know, happy employees and, you know, trying to get management and the the workforce, the sales team, the marketing team, all to sort of like see eye to eye and it's people skills more than anything. Yeah. And um, so he's been doing that for 15 years now. He left the military after a half-life. So he's used his sort of military knowledge and he was doing well in the military. He was starting to move into sort of coaching roles in that left the military, went private, started coaching uh, sports teams, businesses, off his own back with his business partner. He's since parted ways. He's taken on the business himself. He's going really well. And I've been his ambassador. So my job for the last six, seven years is, um, it's been a two-way thing. I've been, you know, using him as a mentor and an advisor for on and off the bike. You know, yeah, as yeah. you mentioned, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not always fun and games. No, of course it's not. And um, he basically said, look, Ed, you know, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't really mention this until like after Tokyo. And he's like, Ed, I didn't want to mention this before, but I've been thinking, you know, we can keep doing what we're doing and, you know, we'll keep you on board as an ambassador and I'll use you for motivational talks to my clients and, you know, you can do bits and bobs with um, the big wigs and so on. Or, you know, we can, we can go in something where you've got a bit of, um, bit of a say in things as well and, you know, a reason to sort of like real push it. And, you know, as you might have picked up on earlier, I've, I've always been into this and, you know, the, the whole mindset stuff and how you can leave that to your advantage has been, um, you know, like quite early on in my cycling career, Tommy, you know, I think people identify what it is that's going to make them better, you know, whether it's diet or, you know, a particularly good physiologist or equipment. And I, I Well, think you, you think you can see that? Mindset. I think for me, like, you know, early on in my British cycling days, I was like, yeah, this sort of mindset thing, you know, seeing things with clarity. Uh, that's so much better than just this generic coaching that you see on someone's like oh, I'm coaching someone oh, what's your, what's your FTP yeah, yeah. yeah you know you know yeah. whenever that's helped someone never I mean I've, I've always had an interest in the numbers and the heart rates and the, the all of that but I've always found like the mindset stuff more interesting so um that's what we're doing I'm going to try and sort of combine everything I've learned all the life lessons I've learned you know through 20 years of sport and the, you know the the four Olympic cycles combine that with Phil and his prior knowledge of the military and the business world, try and combine the twos. And I guess we'll deliver three things to uh, businesses and companies and 
can individuals get it or is it is yeah it, absolutely yeah yeah it's more, more, mostly businesses yeah. helping people Fucking hell, yeah awesome. so we sort of go into you know businesses and corporations and i can do the talks i can tell them about the life lessons i've had you know, how to cope under pressure how to work well with the team uh, you know in my experience what makes a good leader things like that you know always having a willingness to learn and you know it's so on so i can do a presentation on what those guys are interested in more and then we've got the option if, if they're keen to do like either online or in-person workshops with phil and his team so phil's got over a, a dozen or so you know people that he sort of brings in and out of his business to help him deliver courses and then uh yeah i guess the third thing is if anyone wants like an ongoing consultancy program again phil's got the um the stuff to deliver that within his company pro noctis so um it's a performance consultancy business, yeah. Fantastic. Man, I couldn't think of anyone better. Well, no, nah, there are people who are really good at talking, but you would be, you know, you would grip a crowd with the way you talk and the advice that you would give would be unbelievable. I would love to. Um, any yeah, business, yeah, would that would be an asset. I think the guys at Forge were like, bloody hell, we'll get you down. Yeah, well. <laughs> Tell I'll, people I'll start so, selling yeah. more bins. Yeah, well, that's the idea, you know. It's uh, it's not just about like hitting numbers and you know meeting sales targets and that. It's about doing it the right way as well, you know, and living by good values and you know treating people the right way. And you know, funnily enough, they almost seem to equal the same thing. Yeah, I, I said at the start of this podcast, I'm not particularly good at bullshitting. Or, you know, being involved in things I don't want to be in. I've got a relatively limited tolerance for that. So yeah, this yeah. is something I've I've kind of embraced. You well, know, you back from the early days with Steve Peters, and then I kind of sought out my own help later on in my career and. Yeah, I, I'd I love really to meet him. him. I'd love to meet him. Yeah, no, fascinating bloke. And, you know, he's... I'd love to just sit with him. He's a big part of, you know, the, the boom of British cycling. Obviously, Brailsford, Shane had their... Um, what I was getting at is they did an awful lot, you know, to the marginal gains thing and, you know, putting British cycling on the map, taking us to a new level. But I think Steve Peters was um, a big part of that too. And, yeah, like I said, you know, later on in my career, I met Phil Kelly and Pro Noctis and it's, you know, everyone says the same things. It's just a different... It's about finding someone you can connect with and, you know, it's all the same things that they deliver, give or take. It's just having someone speak it in your language. I think, you know, when you find that, it doesn't have to be anyone official, but yeah, having a bit of a mentor on my side, you know, helped me all the way through the career. Of course it did. Yeah. It I doesn't have to be, you know, it could be your mate, Tommy, you know, it'd be someone that you just connect with on your road rides or anything like that. Someone you use as a bit of a big brother type just to like. I struggled know. with that. I found, hmm, got to be very careful here, Tom. <laughs> quite toxic some of the groups that i found myself in training a lot of dick measuring a lot of uh, yeah yeah and i look back at it now and i'm i'm upset with myself that i i didn't fill myself with actually i only trained with people because they were good i didn't get on with them unfortunately well no i did to a degree but i should have been a bit stronger on myself and be like tom this isn't serving you right this is not good for you. You know this isn't a good environment. Yeah. Just because you're going to become good and you're getting better, you come on, you're better than this. And I would have liked someone to have put their hand around me, arm around me and gone, Tom, come on, this is too toxic. This is too macho. This is too male. Yeah, I mean. Constantly calling each other soft yeah. to the point where I got pneumonia. Yeah, man. You know, it did me no favours. Yeah, as you'd expect, you know, elite sport. Is, uh, I'm sure it's the same in elite business, but it's... Um, yeah, football, boxing, mm, yeah, yeah, cricket, yep. you see it everywhere. This is the thing that I love about it. You can be doing exactly the same thing, man. So you can be doing or working up to, let's, let's not talk about Olympic Games, let's say like the National Crit Championships, Tommy, and you're doing that. 
And, you know, you can look at it. We, you can be doing exactly the same thing. It's the same Tommy in two different universes. And one Tommy is, you know, he's pushing himself to the limit in training. Mm. Um, he's doing it because people are calling him soft. He's doing it to prove a point, you know, and he's doing it to, to show people how strong he is on mm. the big day. And in, in a parallel universe, there's the same Tommy doing the same race. But in this universe, he's pushing him to himself to the limit, you know, because he enjoys it and he revels in a challenge. And, you know, he, he doesn't just want to do this race for himself. He wants to do this race for himself and because he loves his teammates and because he loves his family. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same thing. You're going through the same process but you've got you're looking at it through a different paradigm you know you're looking at it with a different lens and that, that's what i love about all this stuff that i've done with phil and steve over the past it's like you know just by changing your mindset it's a completely different event it's a completely different life you're leading you know because i heard you say earlier you're still like twatting yourself up a hill <laughs> yeah. now i can't do that anymore like my mind won't let me do it and it's because when i used to race and train it was just to win I didn't yeah, really yeah. do it to, for the numbers. I didn't. Do, it was just purely to win, and I struggle now doing it for enjoyment. Yeah, I, and yeah. I'm still going on that journey where I'll, I'll get to a point where I can go out like you and not think about what people think how I look, yeah. not get the comments, not get the judgment. Now I'm doing it because I want to do it. I'm doing it because I actually just want to race to the top of that hill, yep. and not have to think. You know, I was never even as good as you, but I still put myself under that pressure. It's fucked up. <laughs> it's um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, look, before we leave, I always ask, I, I like to ask, first question, who's the best rider you've ever ridden with? You know what? Trained with, ridden yeah. with, raced against, where you've gone, you've looked them gone, how's he done that? It's just like, yeah. it's took your breath away, like a moment where you've gone, nah, that's like, that's mm. ridiculous. Yeah, and at most, I've, I've rode with some big dogs, you know, Geraint, Brad on the road, you know, in particular, certainly a few times, you know, I was, I was looking at Brad in the altitude camps before Rio and just thought, wow, this guy is just on a different planet. You know really? what I mean? Oh, man, especially at altitude, I was so weak. And it just didn't seem effective. And there was a few days when he was on his time trial bike and I was just like, wow, this is just unreal. But I think Jason Kenny gets my vote, man. Really? Yeah, yeah. People are surprised when I say it, but um, Sir Jason Kenny now, sorry. But um, again, he's you know relatively low profile. He sort of keeps his head down, and um, you know he perhaps wasn't at his physical peak, let's say in Tokyo, but you know he certainly was in London and Rio. But every you know when I tried my hand at team sprint for a little bit after London, yeah. Again, I was a bit lost. I didn't really know what to do. And myself and Kian Callum. Uh, you know, Kian probably had the potential to be the best kilo rider in the world for the last 20 years. Callum went on to be Olympic champion in Rio and, you know, he was certainly a good rider when he had his head in the game. And, um, you know, we were all sort of fighting for our team sprint spots for the upcoming world championships and world cups so and all that. So ruthless tracking it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know, me, Kian and Callum would be there early doing our roller warm-up and, you know, getting in the zone and doing everything right and giving it the big marginal gains and... Anyway, half an hour later, Jason Kenny had ride in on his moped, come into track centre, strip his levers off, get his helmet on and put four tenths into us in every effort. Like just natural, raw talent. Yeah, Jason was special, man. Yeah, he, Jason is special. I don't know if he's um, 
going to do another? Yeah, I don't know where he is now. Um, but he is, what's he like a as a guy? Yeah, really, really good. Like um, just ten sound, out of ten. Yeah, yeah. Just um, again, he's he's not your your typical sports person. He's not the one that um, flashy or yeah, not flashy at all. And you know, he's a nice fellow though. When you meet him, he's he's into his motorsports. So always got something. You know, talk about the motorbikes and the cars and things like that. And he's uh, you know, he loves his kids. Um, his kids, sorry, Alby, and um, you know, he's just nice fella, you know. And so, Ed Clancy's best rider he's ever ridden with, yeah, is the Jason mo- Kenny, yeah, most talented fella I've ever seen ride a bike is Jason Kenny, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he could do everything as well. He wasn't just a, a fast starter; he had a great top speed. You know, this is talking like uh, a language you might not have heard of. His, his rolling accelerations, every effort you we are. did. You know, off the back of the motorbike and things like that. Every effort, it didn't matter if it was a standing start, a flying effort, or, you know, a, an acceleration. He just, honestly, with like, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he's a committed fella, but every effort, he just sort of like casually strolled up to his bike. You know. What do you think, what do you think to Charlie Tanfield? Yeah, great lad, yeah. Um, he was on the podcast. He's been on the podcast. I heard that one actually with Charlie, yeah. Because he, 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 didn't, he didn't make it. He was a substitute. Mm. Um, it was a talent team or something. He got sort of snubbed on the But he's strong, ranks. isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's good, man. Yeah, he's good. Evolution. Like, they're just getting better and better. And um, like, like, even like Ethan Hater, Vernon, they're, um, they've arguably done things already in team pursuit that you'd never see Brad or Geraint do, you know. I mean, times move on, aerodynamics moves on, sports science moves on, but, you know, already there's... Um, I it's, think, just, it's just going to get faster, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, within the next year or so, Ethan Vernon have done better things from, you know, the man one starting position than I'd have ever done, honestly. They're, they're just nah. evolution. Yeah, mate, he's good. Watch him go quick step this year. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. Charlie's great, man. Back to your question. He's a good, solid rider. You know, I just... He kind of came into the sport a bit late and, you know, his well, tactical he, awareness, bike handling skills might not be super duper, but otherwise, you know, he could have had an half decent chance of riding World Tour. And yeah. he, um, His brother Harry's had a tough time. Yeah. Do, do you know what? He gets a hard time, Harry, but I feel, you know, he, he, he I, I know him really well. I've raced against him loads. Very canny. Yeah. Very, very astute. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't agree with the handlebar thing tilting them inwards but hey that's what's for him um but uh I, I did want to mention it because the poor lad right no one will ever forget when he won that stage of Saudi Yorkshire mm. you could do a Netflix documentary out of that shit that no that was proper David and Goliath yeah, yeah. that is Roy of the Rovers yeah, yeah. that would be on uh, a documentary on YouTube and, you, and you'd watch it <laughs> If you did, it made it all moody, made it all epic, got someone from yeah. wherever to do some black and white images and some moody sound in the background. And yeah, yeah, when he yeah. crosses the line, his dad's there. <laughs> he won a stage of Toddy Yorkshire. Yeah, in nuts. He was Big nuts. Race. Yeah, it was. When what he did it, say? I remember everyone was WhatsApping going, have you just seen what he's done? Mm. Sat, before, sat down with his hands on the hoods, just big him, seated sprint. Uh, Mike come in, we're in the break with another lad from JLT. Yeah, Ali Slater, Slater was yeah, there, yeah. yeah. Ali Slater, yeah. And he won it. And everyone yeah. was like, Nah, now that's a moment. Mm. No one's ever done it since. <laughs> um, he beat like Greg Van Avermaet. And, yeah. And then he signed for Katusha. Yeah. And then he had an injury the first year. Mm. It didn't quite go well. He had an injury. Yep. And he struggled. Yeah. And then the team folded. And he had to try and find a team. Yeah. And he got on that AG2R team. Yeah. And COVID happened. And then he didn't race. He still had a bit of a knee injury. Then AG2R let him go. Yep. Then he got onto Quebec next ash this year, last year. 
COVID was still happening. Yep. Wow, man. What and, do you and, do? And, and, and now he's at, you know, real, so fair play to Harry. You know, I saw him the other day and I, I, um, I shouted out the window at him. I was like, God, keep going on your foot. And I, I just thought, do you know what? James Shaw's been on. He never gave up. Gabs Calais got the St. Pyrrhon after yep. Bobby Starr. And he's a hitter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, strong. Strong, you know, and um, yeah, not giving up, man. Yeah, a, I think it's hard for the British lads. I was out with Matt Gibson, you know, in Calpe. With yeah. the GB set up last week. And again, he's one that kind of, he rode for JLT with me on the road for a year or two and made it or whatever, you know, that's supposed to be. And he turned a uh, pro continental team, great team. Um, as soon but, as he got out there, I think two of the riders tested pause. The, re- yeah, the team goes. shut down for three years and I think he had a two-year contract and the next year. Do you think he's good, Matt Gibson? I mean, he does numbers, yeah. I was speaking to him out in Calpe. He does the numbers. Um, Just needs to get lucky on the road. and Yeah, and he's looking at the track as well. So yep. it'd be interesting to see how that, progresses over the next you know couple of months he seems like a, li- a nice lad his girlfriend is, seems yeah. lovely you know and charlotte yeah yeah, yeah 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 she's um she writes is it not ruler magazine um she does something she, ah, she's yeah. she always says on the podcast she sounds lovely and yeah yeah uh but look ed we this is the type of thing where i could i could speak to you all day but oh we've really gone over um, <laughs> just have to cut, cut it all out um, cut but out, i knew we it. would today because uh you know, I did race because I messaged you the other day saying, "Oh, I'm looking forward to meeting you." I was like, "No, nah, I have met you. I did race with you sometimes." Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think you did the right team when I won it that year. That year. <laughs> no, I think you did. Did you do right team and Jock Wadley that weekend? Oh yeah, um, I might have done. Yeah. Um, so I can say I beat you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can say I beat you once, but you, mate, you were a different league to me. Yeah, yeah. No, what you've done, uh, you know, you don't get noticed enough. You, you know, because you've. You've not sold yourself out social media wise, um, but you are the most underrated British athlete of the 10, 15 years. I don't care what anyone says. Um, the way you've spoke today and the questions you ask and how you ask when you look at me, you make me go like, oh, you know, when you say my name, I'm like, oh, um, not many people have done that. And um, you're so down to earth, so down to earth. It's frightening how humbling you are. Humility from you is is the one thing I'm going to take away from this today. Um, it is it has been arguably one of the you know easiest best. I say that all the time. I shouldn't say it, but uh, I just hope you've enjoyed it. Hey, cheers, Tommy. Likewise, man. He's yeah, a nice fellow, and I'm glad the podcasts are flying along, buddy. I wouldn't say everyone says I'm a nice guy, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm definitely trying. I'd love to selfishly. I'd love you to critique me and what I could have done better. <laughs> done better to be good hey, no, <laughs> would have talk, you'd have to do like a, a, t- a, ten, a 10 page dossier on <laughs> well nah, you can start nah. by doing this you can start by doing that um nah, nah. so we'll get to work afterwards tommy big debrief big debrief big team debrief uh but look all the best of pursuit line cheers man. uh we, you're only in home first it's not too far and I, I, I do like to i would like to go to block at some point yeah see you next time you're in there drop us a message i would love to uh yeah man you make me feel more positive you make me feel like um, I don't know. You like bring me out myself a bit. Maybe that's something that you do with people when you see. Maybe other people feel the same about you. It's a really good quality to have. Don't lose it. Cheers, Tom. It's, ph- it's phenomenal. Right. Uh, but no, thank you very much. It's been great. Cheers, Ed. Thanks. The Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify.